Section 5 of Aucassin and Nicolette, translated by Andrew Lang. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Section 5 Then speak they, say they, tell they the tale. Now leave we Aucassin, and speak we of Nicolette. The ship wherein she was cast pertained to the king of Carthage, and he was her father, and she had twelve brothers, all princes or kings. When they beheld Nicolette, how fair she was, they did her great worship, and made much joy of her, and many times asked her who she was, for surely seemed she a lady of noble line and high parentry. But she might not tell them of her lineage, for she was but a child when men stole her away. So sailed they, till they won the city of Carthage. And when Nicolette saw the walls of the castle and the countryside, she knew that there had she been nourished, and thence stolen away, being but a child. Yet was she not so young a child, but that well she knew she had been daughter of the king of Carthage, and of her nurture in that city. Here singeth one. Nicolette the good and true, to the land hath come anew, sees the palaces and walls, and the houses and the halls. Then she spake and said, Alas, that of birth so great I was, cousin of the Amiral, and the very child of him, Carthage counts, king of Paynim. Wild folk hold me here withal. Nay, Aucassin, love of thee, gentle knight, and true and free, burns and wastes the heart of me. Ah, God, grant it of his grace, that thou hold me and embrace, that thou kiss me on the face, love and lord. Then speak they, say they, tell they the tale. When the king of Carthage heard Nicolette speak in this wise, he cast his arms about her neck. Fair sweet love, saith he, tell me who thou art, and be not a dread of me. Sir, said she, I am daughter to the king of Carthage, and was taken, being then a little child, it is now fifteen years gone. When all they of the court heard her speak thus, they knew well that she spake sooth, so made they great joy of her, and led her to the castle in great honour as the king's daughter. And they would have given her to her lord, a king of Paynim, but she had no mind to marry. There dwelt she three days or four, and she considered by what means she might seek for Aucassin. Then she got her a viol, and learned to play on it, till they would have married her on a day to a great king of Paynim, and she stole forth by night, and came to the seaport, and dwelt with a poor woman thereby. Then took she a certain herb, and therewith smeared her head and her face, till she was all brown and stained, and she let make coat and mantle and smock and hose, and attired herself as if she had been a harper. So took she the vial and went to a mariner, and so wrought on him that he took her aboard his vessel. Then hoisted they sail and fared on the high seas, even till they came to the land of Provence, and Nicolette went forth and took the vial, and went playing through all that country, even till she came to 
the castle of Biocare, where Aucassin lay. Here singeth one. At Biocare, below the tower, sat Aucassin on an hour, heard the bird and watched the flower with his barons him beside. Then came on him in that tide the sweet influence of love and the memory thereof, thought of Nicolette the fair and the dainty face of her he had loved so many years. Then was he in duel and tears. Even then came Nicolette, on the stair of which she set, and she drew the viol bow through the strings and chanted so. Listen, lords and knights, to me, lords of high or low degree. To my story list will ye all of Aucassin and her that was Nicolette the fair? And their love was long to tell. Deep woods through he sought her well. Paynims took them on a day in toil o'er, and bound they lay. Of Aucassin naught know we, but fair Nicolette the free, now in Carthage doth she dwell. There her father loves her well, who is king of that country. Her a husband hath he found, Paynim lord that serves Mahound. Ne'er with him the maid will go, for she loves a damoiseau. Aucassin, that ye may know, swears to God that never mo with a lover will she go, save with him she loveth so in long desire. So speak they, say they, tell they the tale. When Aucassin heard Nicolette speak in this wise, he was right joyful, and drew her on one side, and spoke, saying, Sweet fair friend, know ye nothing of this Nicolette, of whom ye have thus sung? Yea, sir, I know her for the noblest creature, and the most gentle, and the best that ever was born on ground. She is daughter to the king of Carthage that took her there where Aucassin was taken, and brought her into the city of Carthage, till he knew that verily she was his own daughter, whereon he made right great mirth. Anon wished he to give her for her lord, one of the greatest kings of all Spain. But she would rather let herself be hanged or burned than take any lord, how great soever. Ah, fair sweet friend, quoth the Count Aucassin, if thou wilt go into that land again, and bid her come and speak to me, I will give thee of my substance more than thou wouldst dare to ask or take. And know ye that for the sake of her I have no will to take a wife, howsoever high her lineage. So wait I for her, and never will I have a wife, but her only. And if I knew where to find her, no need would I have to seek her. Sir, quoth she, if ye promise me that, I will go in quest of her for your sake, and for hers, that I love much. So he sware to her, and anon let give her twenty livres, and she departed from him, and he wept for the sweetness of Nicolette. And when she saw him weeping, she said, Sir, trouble not thyself so much withal. For in a little while shall I have brought her into this city, and ye shall see her. When Aucassin heard that, he was right glad thereof. And she departed from him, and went into the city, to the house of the captain's wife. For the captain, her father in God, was dead. 
So she dwelt there and told all her tale, and the captain's wife knew her and knew well that she was Nicolette, that she herself had nourished. Then she let wash and bathe her, and there rested she eight full days. Then took she an herb that was named Eyebright, and anointed herself therewith, and was as fair as ever she had been all the days of her life. Then she clothed herself in rich robes of silk, whereof the lady had great store, and then sat herself in the chamber on a silken coverlet, and called the lady, and bade her go and bring Aucassin her love. And she did even so. And when she came to the palace, she found Aucassin weeping, and making lament for Nicolette his love, for that she delayed so long. And the lady spake unto him, and said, Aucassin, sorrow no more, but come thou on with me, and I will show thee the thing in the world that thou lovest best, even Nicolette, thy dear love, who from far lands hath come to seek of thee. And Aucassin was right glad. Here singeth one. When Aucassin heareth now that his lady bright of brow dwelleth in his own country, never man was glad as he. To her castle doth he high with the lady speedily, passeth to the chamber high, findeth Nicolette thereby. Of her true love found again never maid was half so fain. Straight she leaped upon her feet. When his love he saw at last, arms about her did he cast, kissed her often, kissed her sweet, kissed her lips and brows and eyes. Thus all night do they devise, even till the morning white. Then Aucassin wedded her, made her Lady of Beaucaire. Many years abode they there, many years in shade or sun, in great gladness and delight. Ne'er hath Aucassin regret, nor his lady Nicolette. Now my story all is done, said and sung. Notes The blending of alternate prose and verse is not unknown in various countries. Thus in Dr. Steer's Swahili Tales, London, 1870, page Roman numeral 7, we read, It is a constant characteristic of popular native tales to have a sort of burden which all join in singing. Frequently the skeleton of the story seems to be contained in these snatches of singing, which the storyteller connects by an extemporized account of the intervening history. Almost all these stories had sung parts, and of some of these even those who sung them could scarcely explain the meaning. I have heard stories partly told, in which the verse parts were in the Yao and Yamwesi languages. The examples given, Sultan Majnun, are only verses supposed to be chanted by the characters in the tale. It is improbable that the Yaos and Yamwesis borrowed the custom of inserting verse into prose tales from Arab literature, where the intercalated verse is usually of a moral and reflective character. Mr. Jamieson, in Illustrations of Northern Antiquities, page 379, preserved a cantfable called Rosmer Hafman, 
or the merman rosmer mr motherwell remarks minstrelsy glasgow eighteen twenty seven page roman numeral fifteen thus i have heard the ancient ballad of young Bechan and susie pye dilated by a story-teller into a tale of remarkable dimensions a paragraph of prose and then a screed of rhyme alternately given the example published by mr motherwell gives us the very form of aucassin and nicolette surviving in scotch folklore well ye must know that in the moor's castle there was a mafsy moor which is a dark deep dungeon for keeping prisoners it was twenty feet below the ground and into this hole they closed poor Bechan. there he stood night and day up to his waist in puddle water but night or day it was all one to him for no a stim of light ever got in so he lay there a lang and weary while and thinking on his heavy weird he made a mournful song to pass the time and this was the song that he made and grat when he sang it for he never thought of escaping from the mafsimor or of seeing his ain country again my hounds they all run masterless my hawks they flee from tree to tree my youngest brother will air my lands and fair england again i'll never see oh were i free as i hae been and my ship swimming once more on sea i'd turn me face to fair england and sail no more to a strange country now the cruel moor had a beautiful daughter called susie pye who was accustomed to take a walk every morning in her garden and as she was walking a day she heard the sow of Bechan's song coming as it were from below the ground all this is clearly analogous in form no less than in matter to our count fable mr motherwell speaks of fablio intended partly for recitation and partly for being sung but does not refer by name to aucassin and nicolette if we may judge by analogy then the form of the cant fable is probably an early artistic adaptation of a popular narrative method stour an ungainly word enough familiar in scotch with the sense of wind-driven dust it may be dust of battle the french is estor biocaire opposite tarascon also celebrated for its local hero the deathless tartarin there is a great deal of learning about biocaire probably the author of the cant fable never saw the place but he need not have thought it was on the seashore as page thirty nine he seems to do there he makes the people of biocaire set out to wreck a ship ships do not go up the rhone and get wrecked there after escaping the perils of the deep on page forty two the poet clearly thinks that nicolette after landing from her bark had to travel a considerable distance before reaching biocaire the fact is that the poet is perfectly reckless of geography like him who wrote of the set shore of bohemia painted wondrously no one knows what is really meant by a mirami plentiful lack of comfort rather freely for mutiari pour conquis malangin a favorite word of sir thomas mallory 
mischievous intent. Feats of youth en France, the regular term for the romance of a knight's early prowess. Two apples, noir gauge, in the original, but walnuts sound inadequate. Here the manuscript has a lacuna. There is much useless learning about the realm of Torelore. It is somewhere between Cor and Laputa. The custom of the Kuvad was dimly known to the poet. The feigned lying-in of the father may have been either a recognition of paternity, as in the sham birth whereby Hera adopted Heracles, or may have been caused by the belief that the health of the father at the time of the child's birth affected that of the child. Either origin of the Kuvad is consistent with early beliefs and customs. Eyebright. This is a purely fanciful rendering of Esclare. Footnotes. 1. Gaston Paris in M. Bida's edition, page Roman numeral 12, Paris, 1878. The blending is not unknown in various countries. See note at end of translation. 2. I know not if I unconsciously transferred this criticism from M. Gaston Paris. 3. Love in Idleness, London, 1883, page 169. 4. Theocritus, 10, 37. 5. I have not thought it necessary to discuss the conjectures, they are no more, about the Greek or Arabic origin of the Kant fabla, about the derivation of Aucassin's name, the supposed copying of Floire et Blancheflor, the longitude and latitude of the land of Torelor, and so forth. In truth, we are in love's land to-day, where the ships sail without wind or compass, like the barks of the Phaeacians. Brunner and Suchet add nothing positive to our knowledge, and M. Gaston Paris pretends to cast but little light on questions which it is too curious to consider at all. In revising the translation I have used with profit the versions of M. Bida, of Mr. Bourdillon, the glossary of Suchet, and Mr. Bourdillon's glossary. As for the style, I have attempted, if not Old English, at least English which is elderly, with the memory of Mallory. End of section 5, and also end of Aucassin and Nicolette, translated by Andrew Lang. Recording by Leonard Wilson of Springfield, Ohio.